0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. It's called Sacred Scars Wounded in the House of My Friends. Sacred scars. And what I'm going to deal with for the next few moments is this. For some reason, the world, especially in the United States and in the Western world, expects Christians to be different than they are. They hold Christians to a totally different standard than they hold themselves to. In other words, they expect themselves to live a certain way, but they expect Christians to live a higher way than that. In my hometown, there's 380 churches in our county of 100,000 people. We are the most churched county, according to the Wall Street Journal, on the east coast of the United States. However, on Sundays in my town, if you are a waitress, you will usually call in sick on Sunday, and I'm telling the truth. They either call in sick or they call in not wanting to work, and I have asked waitresses in my town the reason why, and I hate to say this, I'm embarrassed to say this, they say that the rudest day of dealing with people that you are serving food to is on Sunday. Come on, I'm going to preach this now. And they say because the Christian people are demanding, they're always complaining, and they never leave a tip. When you come to my conference and you are sitting there, one of the things I tell my conference people is don't you dare go eat and not leave a tip and then say you went to an OCI meeting with Perry Stone. Don't do it. If you're representing me, you're going to represent me right. And one of the things that we do is tell people those waitresses only get so much money, and so they live off of tips. And so don't be talking and forget to tip. Go back in and tip if you forgot to tip. Now, I'm saying that for a reason because a friend of mine who's just been saved, he's a young man, was talking to these waitresses at Cracker Barrel, and they were all talking about this. And this young man said, what is the deal? Why is it? that church people tend to wound people, and when they wound them, they act like it's nothing. And they go right on over top of it and keep living, and they know they've wounded somebody. Look, we're going to go there today, whether you won't go there or not. You're here already, okay? I mean, you drove here, you showed up, so uh, you might as well get ready for what's about to happen. Now, I'm going to show you three scriptures from the Old Testament. All of these deal with Jesus, and listen carefully to what they say. These are powerful. Zechariah 12 and 1. But in that day, there'll be a fountain open in the house of David for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. The fountain, of course, is the blood of Christ that would forgive you for sin. It's a prophecy. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And mourn for him as one mourns for his own son and shall be in bitterness of him as one that is in bitterness of his firstborn. Now they they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6. And one shall say to him, Where did you get the wounds in your hand? Now, is this not amazing? This is 600 years before the crucifixion ever took place. You and I know that when Jesus is resurrected, he shows Thomas the scars in the hands, and actually they would have been the wrist area, which was considered a part of a hand. And they say this, where did you get these wounds? And this is the most moving, touching verse. Listen to what the reply of the Messiah, Jesus, is. When he comes back to earth to rule and reign, they're going to say, where did you get the wounds? And he will say... These are the wounds in which I was wounded in the house of my friends, meaning he's Jewish. He came to his own people, and the first century church now, you remember the day of Pentecost, they were all Jewish. So Jewish people were accepting him, but the Bible said that he would come to his own, and his own would receive him not because the religious people, which were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you have political groups like the Herodians and the Essenes, all these other groups, they had a preconceived idea of how things should be. They had a preconceived idea of what the Messiah would be like, how he would come, he would be a king, he would conquer Israel's enemies, all that's in the prophecy, but that's when he comes back to rule and reign on earth, and they had it really mixed up. So because Jesus did not do what they expected for him to do, which was become a king, conquer Rome, take over Israel, become the king, and appoint a kingdom, and his kingdom was spiritual, guys, not political. The political kingdom is later. The spiritual kingdom is now. Again, they had it all messed up. What did they do? They went after him. They just assumed, well, you're not the Messiah, so let's just get rid of him. And they set up his death, which, of course, was the fulfillment of the word of God anyway, that he would have to die for the sins of the people. We don't want to argue the theology of that. But let's say this, and I want to go here for a moment. Jesus, and I guess this always bothered me because I always taught that when we get a resurrected body, for example, and you're in a wheelchair, you will not be in a wheelchair in heaven. If, you have an, if you're an amputee and you lost a leg in an accident or a war or your arm, that when you, and people tell me they have lost limbs, they say, I can still feel it there. It's like it's there, but it's not there. Well, remember, you are a body and a soul and a spirit, and they can't cut your spirit open. They can't tear your spirit apart. Your spirit remains intact no matter what happens to your physical body. So that may be why you can still feel limbs when you don't physically have a limb because your spirit is still there. Does that make sense to anybody? So, so I, I, may be, maybe you're one of those individuals who, who have gone through that kind of a trauma and you're wounded, but I don't believe you carry those wounds into heaven. I believe you'll have full body parts. I believe you'll have arms, you'll have legs. If something is missing, you'll be whole because your spirit cannot be destroyed. But it always bothered me, and I'm being honest with you, that Jesus has to carry scars Throughout eternity, He's resurrected, and he says to Thomas, look at my hands and p- pierce my side. Take your hand and thrust it in my side, and don't be unbelieving, be believing. I'm thinking to myself, we shouldn't have to carry any wounds into eternity. Why does Jesus have to forever carry wounds? Maybe you don't think like me. Maybe you've never thought about that. But here in the millennial reign, people will say, where'd you get the wounds? He'll say, well, I was wounded in the house of my friends. And the thought came to me, if Satan ever at the judgment day and he will be judged at the great white throne judgment one day along with all the fallen angels, all the demon spirits. But if Satan were to ever say, ever say this, the crucifixion was a hoax because Muslims don't believe Jesus was ever crucified. So if there's religions and people there or Satan that says the crucifixion was a hoax, all Jesus has to do is roll up his sleeve. Now you get it. Now you get it and see he has to have the because he's a covenant man and anytime you enter in a covenant there's a scar left for example men that are circumcised have a scar on their body from the circumcision anytime you're a covenant man you have to carry a scar and a mark and in Jesus case it's the wounds on his hand and on his side to as evidence that he was truly God's covenant man who established a redemption covenant for all of mankind so i can understand that part but then i got to thinking about the wounds that people get in the house of their friends Wounds that people get in a church. Wounds that people get among the body of Christ. We don't expect church people to fight other church people, but they still do. We don't expect, Christ- we expect Christian people to react a certain way, and they always don't. So therefore, we get frustrated. We get aggravated. We get disappointed. We quit coming to church. We lose out with God. And we're going to look, look, look at somebody and say, he's going to plow this morning. So you need to get ready before we get into this because we're going deep in a minute into some plowing into some very, very heavy territory. But I'm setting you up for it, all right? That's what we're doing right here. So I got to thinking about Jesus, and it's like the Holy Spirit gave this to me. When Thomas reached in and touched his wound, Jesus still bore the wound, watch this, but he no longer felt the pain. Wow. And the Lord spoke to me and He said, This people can be wounded and still always remember the wound, still recall. They have a memory. It's hard to forget. But here's how you know you're healed. Ready? You know you're healed when the wound is there, but it don't hurt anymore. That's how you know you're healed. When when you can see the person who hurt you verbally and walk right past them, say, hey, how you doing, hope you're doing good, how's the family, and you go right on and you don't feel the sting anymore. You're not emotionally healed, you're not physically healed, you're not totally healed in these scars that I'm about to talk about until you can just, you can see the people, see the situation, see what happened, and you just say, you know what? That's all in the past, that's all done. We don't, I don't have the pain that I used to have. This is how you know the healing process has begun. The Bible says it this way: He heals the broken in heart, and He binds up their wounds. And that's how you know you've been healed. Now, let's talk for a moment about messy Christianity. Uh, touch a neighbor, and say messy Christianity. Now, can I tell you something? That I'll be the first to stand and tell you: Christians are expected to be perfect, but they are not perfect. Can I get a witness in this house this morning? They are expected to be perfect, but they are not perfect. There's four errors that Christians make, and I want to give these to you very quickly. Error number one is fighting in the wrong war. Do you understand that we spend most of our time fighting things that really are irrelevant, that have no bearing on eternity, no bearing on salvation? We should be dealing with how to get our kids off of drugs. We should be dealing how to get them free from alcohol addiction. We should be dealing with kids that are suicidal. on somebody and giving them hope. But oftentimes they're battling with the church across town or we're battling with somebody's opinion of this, that, and the other. So Christians are spending a lot of time fighting in the wrong war. Number two, Christians are spending too much time protecting their traditions instead of proclaiming the truth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are some people that prefer a certain style of music, and they will just vow to you. They'll vow to you that the four living creatures in heaven, remember reading that in the Bible? There's an ox and an eagle and a lion and a man. They'll vow to you that has to be a southern gospel quartet around the throne room of God. Has to be. Because that's the only music God listens to. Now, I just did this look, I just did the Southern Quartet convention in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, okay? So I'm safe here talking about this. But I want to say something to you. Many times people will spend a lot of their time arguing about their own idea. And again, not, not winning people to the Lord, not being involved, in, which brings me to number three. People are wasting time on the internet, especially on theological arguments why hell still burns. Okay, I know people that want to send me a manuscript that thick and read it and want to rebuke me if I didn't get to it in a week on why I believe in post-trip, why I believe in mid-trip, why I believe Jesus won't come back until this, that, and the other. Can I tell you something? Jesus is going to come back when Jesus wants to come back, okay? (laughs) And what we need to be doing instead of arguing, is it mid, is it pre-trib, post-trib, is it this, is it that? We need to be winning people to the Lord and just telling them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get right with God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get right with God because the Messiah is coming back. But what happens is so many times we get caught in these things that really are become argumentative. And even the Bible talks about don't spend time doing that. There's too many people that need help. Too many people need to be won. Too many people need to be saved to do that. And number four, and this is where I want to go, careless words and careless actions that are unintentionally wounding people. Not willing, not, not willing to or not understanding that the, wo- the wound is what causes people to quit church. The wound is what causes people to give up on Christ. The wound is what causes people to judge everybody as a hypocrite or everybody in the church as two-faced. You've heard the stories. You've heard the people that use the excuses for not coming to the house of God. Now, I'm going to plow in the next few moments into something, and I'm going to ask you a question, and don't answer it out loud. Just answer it in your mind. Here we go. What do you think... Uh, Now, this is going to really shock you here. What do you think, probably, the greatest weapon Satan has in his arsenal? If I were to ask you, what is the single greatest weapon that Satan has in his arsenal that can do more damage than any other weapon he's had? Well, someone would say adultery. Some would say fornication. Some would say it's got to be a lying spirit. Well, when people lie, it messes things up. And you could go through this whole list. I will tell you that the greatest weapon Satan has in the church, are you ready for this, is loose lips. Because... The church is creating its own warfare because of individuals who have has loose lips. If you've ever been in the military, especially the navy, they have an expression, and you all know it probably. What is it? Loose lips sink ships. And they used to have rules, and I guess they still do in the military, that if you send a letter in a time of war, there's 10 rules that you have to go by. You can't tell them where you're at. You can't tell them who you're fighting. You can't tell them who was wounded. You can't tell them how good the battle is, how bad the battle is. And there's 10 rules to writing a letter because they knew the enemy could intercept the letter. And if the enemy intercepts the letter and you say, oh, next week we're headed to so-and-so or we have a plan to do that, they could intercept and kill troops and it could cause great damage in the war. Now Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 says this, put off the former conversation, Concerning the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians 1 27 says it this way Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he talks about conversation here. Now, I'm a, let, me, let, me, let me preface what I'm about to dig. I'm about to dig right here, so we're going to do some digging. I'm a pastor's son, I'm a fourth generation minister. My dad pastored churches when I was growing up till I was 18 years of age, went on all my own to evangelize and preach. So I'm very, very familiar with church lang- lingo, church talk, church language. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with all that early Pentecostal language. My God, they were slain in the spirit. I was out in a restaurant talking about slain in the spirit. They thought a bunch of people got killed at the church. <laughs> slain? Who got slain? Who got sl- See, people don't understand the lingo that the old timers used to have years ago. The old timers had their own lingo, and I don't want to go into that because it's very funny, by the way. But let me say this to you. In line with this, there have been a lot of people that have been hurt by people who call themselves Christians. Now, I'm going to share with you the names of Satan because I said a moment ago, Satan's number one tool is loose lips. It's, it's people saying things when they should be silent. It's where James said, let your yea be yea, let your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. The longer you talk, the more trouble you're going to get yourself into that's basically what James said in James 5. Now, having said that, I want, to, I want you to, bear, to kind of track with me here. If you take the word Satan in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word Satan, S-A-T-A-N, is how it's spelled with vowels. If you take the word devil, it's the, it can be the word diabolos. And let me tell you what these two names mean. These two names mean an accuser. And it also means one who is a slanderer. Now, think about this for a moment. So the two top names of our enemy, Satan and the devil, his two top names, imply to slander someone or to accuse someone. Now, it takes what to slander or accuse someone? You don't do it just with your thinking. You do it with what? Your mouth. Now, here's what I want to say. In, in uh, Job chapter 1, it says that Satan came before the throne of God. This is, this is like 4,000 years ago. And uh, uh, the angels of God came before the throne of God. Satan came with them. And Satan began to slander Job, a man that was living on the earth. And he said to God, Job loves you because you blessed him with all this prosperity. If you take his prosperity and affect his prosperity, he's going to curse you. And you. God said to Satan, all he has is in your hand, but you can't take his life. I'll not let you do that. And so Satan went forth. Brought, remember, he brought the storm. It tore the house down. The kids died. Job ended up getting boils all over his body. That's a horrible, if you look at that word boils up in the Hebrew, it was like skin worms, man, worms coming out of his body. This guy went to the bottom of the pit. It was horrible. So Job, it goes under this entire attack because Satan has accused him. All right, I, I read that in Job 1. I know. What it says. But then I go to Revelation 12, and it says in Revelation 12 now Satan who is the accuser of the brethren before God day and night now that verse is so revealing it's the most revealing verse in the entire Bible especially the New Testament of what Satan is presently doing Satan is not in hell that makes real good preaching I tell you all the devils in hell (laughs) Satan in hell not makes good preaching but he's not in hell Ephesians 2 and 2 will tell you he's the prince of the power of the air that's the second heavenly realm his principalities His powers, his rulers of darkness, Ephesians 6 and 12, all rule in an upper atmospheric heaven. All right? So that's where Satan's access is. But here's the part that I've got to get to. How does Satan really accuse someone? How does he do it? Does he just go before the throne of God and he makes his accusation? But watch this where does he get the authority to even make an accusation? Well, look at Job's situation in Job 1. When Job lost everything he had, it says this that Job would go. And make a sacrifice for his sons and daughters, for he feared that they had cursed God in their heart. Job is afraid that that his sons and daughters have cursed God. Satan comes to God and says, "This. He's afraid. Hey." Take what he's got and Job will curse you. So the enemy had watched Job do something. He heard Job say something. I'm afraid my kids have cursed. And adding two and two, one and one together, he got two and said this. Ha-ha, he's afraid of cursing God. So he's afraid that, he he started realizing Job is setting his own self up in his own way because he's doing things to realize what his fear is. Satan to realize what Job's fear is. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, and then, then Job is saying things like, I'm afraid my kids have cursed, so the devil knows he's afraid of cursing God. I'm going to hit him in the area where his greatest fear is. Now, so in other words, Satan knew, oh, stay with me now, Satan knew where to hit based on what was being done or what was being said on the earth by the man that he was about to attack. Now, get, now, get, now stay with me here. If, if, if uh, Satan... Satan does have a voice. We know that. But can I tell you, in my 41 years of preaching, I've only seen Satan one time in a dream. By the way, he was not ugly. He didn't have horns. I won't go into that. Saw him one time. He carried on a two-sentence conversation with me, and that was the end of it, and I'm glad. But I saw him one time. I know it was him. But I have never heard the audible voice of Satan do this. Satan, we rebuke you. I will not rebuke. Whoa. Have you ever heard that? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me in the name of Jesus. I pray the prayer that Jesus did. You don't have authority over me. You don't hear that. Now, can I tell you something? There's fiery darts of the enemy in the book of Ephesians that come into your mind. And at times, you can hear the voice of the adversary, whether it's through people, whether it's through spirits, whether it's through the enemy, but you can hear. Now, how many of you have ever heard the enemy? You know it was not God and it was the enemy trying to put something junky in your head. Raise your hand, whether it's a temptation or anything. All right, now, how many of you, though, have never heard how many of you, like me, have never heard the audible voice of Satan out loud? Anytime you rebuke him, you've never heard it. Raise your hand. You never, Okay, You're, you, you, just, you just set up perfectly for my statement that I'm going to make. Ready? If the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he does not have a mouth on earth that anybody can hear to accuse people then pray, tell me, where are the words coming from that he's using to accuse? Answer, church people. <laughs> I won't, I'll be careful saying this, but years ago, Ted Koppel was doing an interview with a minister. You, you older folks will know what I'm talking about here, who had fallen into a sin and boy, they were jumping on, oh, look, on the platform were about, see, I just saw this the other day, I forgot about it, uh, was, was all these preachers, well-known, all TV guys, well-known. And they're talking about one guy who'd fallen into a sin. And a lady jumps up, and this is, she starts rebuking Koppel. If you journalists would keep your mouth shut, all of this would go away. It's you people trying to bring down the party of Christ. And Coppel stopped her and said this, ma'am, let me remind you of something. All the information we're getting about this preacher is coming from these preachers. You're gonna get. It. Look, you're gonna get this before I get through preaching today. Okay, you're gonna get it. The point is that Satan has no ammunition to accuse someone unless I consistently give him the ammunition by constantly talking about. It. Oh, it just flew by right there. If I shut up, suddenly he has no voice if I and the other people just shut up. I'll give an example. Sometimes you don't need to put your nose where it don't belong. See my nose? Take a look at it. It's kind of long. You know why my nose is long? Not because I got Italian blood, because I I don't have the hook in mine. Everybody else has got the hook in my family except me. I got the the, the hook got left out. But you know why my nose is big? I kept it out of other people's business and gave it a chance to grow. (laughs) Because I refuse, now listen, I refuse to be brought into battles that have no bearing upon my own life. I refuse to be pulled into somebody else's offense just because they want to use my name and said, yeah, but Perry also said, come on, they want to give credit. They want to give credibility to their statements by having a number of people team up with them in their statements to add credibility. To them. I'm going to preach this right here. Glory to God. I feel it in my spirit. Everybody still, uh, are you still here and are you still tracking? Say, I am. Now, let's go through this very very quickly because there are some important things I got to get, get to tell you. There are four things a believer's never to be. Number 1 is never be what is called a busybody. A busybody in 2 Thessalonians 3:11 means in Greek one that creates work. Ready? It is literally a high maintenance person who is always needing attention. Busybodies in Greek means one who is overly curious, curious, spending time where a person does not need to be spending time. They get involved with situations out of curiosity, and the conversations that they lend to, lend to feeding their curiosity. So someone who is a busybody is someone who is overly curious, that actually is someone who creates work because if you've ever had to deal with busybodies, it is like putting out little fires all the time. You're always tracing down, why they say that? Why did you say this? All right, number two, I'm gonna go through these quickly because I wanna get to the main point. Number two is a believer should not be a gossiper. The, wor- the word gossiper, to gossip or gossiper, uh, means a whisperer and it means to attack a person's character but to do so by whispering. In classical Greek, for someone to gossip referred to the low murmur of someone who was trying to charm a snake. You go real real low and you try to charm the snake. You whisper in low tones to try to charm the, the snake. The purpose of a gossiper is to try to get a reaction from you when they are speaking to see if you agree or disagree with them. Obviously, being in church all my life, I have met people this way, and I've discovered that the real root many times of people... Continually talking about something is not just because they're hurt, or not because they feel a wound, or not that they want opinion. But what they do is they're trying to pull you into their side of what they see, and it's called an offense. The Bible talks about offenses. Do not allow an offense to continue. Be careful of offenses. Woe to whom offenses come. And it's the Greek word, as you know, scandalon. And the scandalon was the bait that goes on the trap of the animal. It was like the cheese on the mouse trap. That's the scandal on. the cheese, It's not the mouse trap that got the uh, mouse caught because if it was just a trap, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be curious enough to step on it. Come on, but he starts smelling the cheese and when he starts, woo, cheese, woo, cheese, woo, cheese, he's going to go right for it and he, he puts his nose on the trap, bam, the traps got him by the head. That would be considered the scandal on. And so I want to talk to you for a moment about this idea of being very careful not to be pulled into other people's offense because in my ministry of 40 years and watching my dad and my granddad minister, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a couple nuggets I have learned. Ready? Number one, if you are pulled into another person's offense, what happens is you end up taking on whatever spirit they ha- they have there's a transfer of spirits that begins to occur. So if someone comes to me and they've been upset at Bill over here, well I happen to like Bill but now I'm a little upset at Bill because of what happened between Bill and them. If this person has a particular spirit that they're working under that's not from the Lord, that spirit can transfer over to me. This is like how the ten spies messed things up. Two of them said let's take the promised land. Ten of them said we couldn't. Guess what? Two and a half million people believed ten people and the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb, here's the exact quote, had another spirit. In other words, the spirit they had was not the negative spirit of these other people and God let them go into the promised land 40 years later at age 80 and 85 because of one reason, they had another spirit. So you can take on the spiritual, if it's a demonic thing or an evil thing, that thing will start fighting you. Number two, you start taking on the same battles of the offended person. I have known offended people that got real offended over their marriage situation They went through a divorce, and it was bad, honestly. They probably had a right to be upset. But they start pulling all these women into their attack against their ex-husband, and the weirdest thing happened. Within five years, most of those same women were divorced. They didn't realize that the negative things that woman said about her ex-husband were planting seed in their mind so they start complaining about their own husband. Is everybody checking this out right here? So you can take on the same battles. You can take on the same spirits. You can take on the same problems of people who are literally dragging you into their offense. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of fights, a lot of races. I ain't got a dog in the race. I don't have a horse in the race. And somebody said, I don't, I don't have a chicken in the fight. I don't know if that's a good one to use or not. But the point I'm saying is, if it's not my battle, if it's not gonna affect me, I will pray for you. I will pray that you'll get over it. I pray that God will strengthen you, but do not, but look, I fight too many devils to have to fight yours too. Preach, Perry, come on preach <laughs> you know what i'm saying let me give you another one real quick a backbiter a believer's not to be a backbiter the two greek words in greek backbiter kata, kata, kata which means against and lelio which means to speak and it actually means to speak against your evil speaking now what a backbiter is one of the greek definitions in classical greek is a defamer someone who defames somebody now what would that mean Quick example, it says that Jesus' fame spread abroad. He was made famous, the root word there, fame, famous because of his ministry and his healing the sick and casting out devils. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees came along, and what did they do? They began to murmur or backbite behind the back. You know, they're doing this behind the back, murmur and backbite against him in order to defame him. And to defame him was to cause his fame to be diminished. So uh, let, me, let me tell you something about this real quick and i'll give you one quick story here uh and and that is when you have someone who is in the defaming process of like they're trying to hinder someone willfully or sometimes they do it ignorantly but it's affecting a person's reputation this is where you must be very careful because sometimes you've got to step in and say no wait a minute you don't know what you're talking about and you've got to be careful what you're saying because this is not right from a biblical perspective come on how many of you want to do what the word tells you to do So here's what Paul did all the time. Paul was good at confronting people to their face. So when someone said something, Paul said, I'm going right there to them. You tell them I'm on my way for a meeting, and when I get to the church, I'm going to have a meeting with the whole bunch, and we're going to straighten this thing out. Now my staff will tell you if there's anything that ever comes up in my staff, they will tell you, I have a phone and I do not wait till the end of the day, and I don't wait till next week, and I don't say, well, let's just see how it plays out. If there's something that could lead into a conflict, I call the person immediately who might be the head of it, and I will say, Hey, la 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 la, how you doing? Now let me ask you a question. I had a, a gentleman, this really happened, who we knew that made a statement about one of our conferences, and it was a very negative statement. And he said it to a group of people, and someone in that audience loved us and says, Mr. So and so has just made this statement. Maybe you should be aware of it because it's very negative toward the ministry. I had the number of Reverend So and so. Ha ha ha. So when the service was over, I said, Hey, how's your conference doing? How's it going? It's doing great here. Everything good? Yeah. Said, Let me just send you this. Give me your response. I sent the text sent to me. Oh my goodness. They tried to work their way out of this way and wiggle it out of that way. But here's what happens. Can I tell you what happens? You've got to learn don't let things just go on and on and on because here's what happened Billy's gonna tell sue sue gonna tell jane jane's gonna tell mary lou and next thing you know bam you got everybody on this side bam here comes bill here comes frank here comes jim bam everybody's on this side so what i do is i call them right in i had two of my staff people one time got mad at each other and just fussing 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 i said go get me the boxing gloves y'all stay right here i said i got two pair of boxing gloves in my office go get them he said are you serious i said yes go get them so i had them go get the boxing gloves and they said what are you doing i said you're gonna put on a, pair, you're gonna put on a Apparently nothing. Anybody says it's going to straighten this out. So both of y'all are going to come out here in the lobby and we're going to have a show and you're going to duke it out. And the one left standing keeps the job and the one that falls is fired. Okay, let's go. Let's get on with it right here. They said, you're not serious. I said, oh, I'm dead serious. I said, I'm dead serious. I said, it's very apparent y'all can't work this out, so if you can't work it out, we're going to have to work it out. Oh, God, we're so sorry. You know, oh, we're sorry. They're praying in tongues, you know, they're repenting. Yeah, look, can I tell you something? Never had a problem with them again. Hello? <laughs> Never had a problem with them again. All right. Now, I know that's a little bit extreme. But I, th- I hope you're understanding my point. Now let me t- let me talk to you. The reason why what I'm sharing with you is extremely important is because there is a danger in what's called rumor mongering. Rumor mongering is often caused by talebearers. The Bible says this: "You don't go up and down among the people as a talebearer Leviticus 19:16. A talebearer reveres secrets, but he that's a faithful friend conceals a matter. Proverbs 11:13. The words of a talebearer bear- are a wound that goes down to the belly. Proverbs 18:18. 18, 18. Proverbs 20:19. He that goes about as a tailbearer reveals secrets, don't fellowship with them. Proverbs 26 and 20. When there's no wood on a fire, the fire goes out. When there's no tailbearer, the strife ceases. Now, I have been on the blunt end of what was supposed to be I know for a fact, okay? And I'm going to tell you how I handled it when it came to me. Years ago, and this is, and I talk about these things very openly with my people, my staff, my people, my, my Tuesday night church service. So they're used to me sharing. A lot of other people would not be but years ago, I get a phone call from a man, his name is Tim, and he's on the youth department for the Church of God in a, in a neighboring state. It's a northeastern state. He says, Perry, I've got to talk to you. I said, what do you need, man, anything? He said, look, I'm in a youth board meeting in the Church of God, and the youth director of this area in this meeting stood up and said, well, guys, I hate to tell you this. I don't know how to tell you this. This is bad news. But I just heard that Perry Stone got called into general headquarters and the executive committee rebuked him for unbecoming conduct with the opposite. Says, oh, no, not Perry. Oh, I love Perry. Perry's preached to my much. Oh, poor Perry. Perry, this God. Well, that crazy guy, what's he doing? Oh, they, 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 they just all had to talk about it. So Tim calls me and he says... I thought it would be more appropriate instead of somebody saying that for me to ask you what happened. I said, I have no idea. That's the first I've heard of the story. I said, let me get Pam on the phone. So I get my wife on the phone and he's telling the same story that someone has made up this story about me being called in for unbecoming called. And my wife goes, that's the stupidest, funniest thing I ever heard. I said, woman, shut up. They're messing with my reputation here. She said, Perry, that is the dumbest thing. She tells this guy, and this is before our kids were born, she said, Look, we travel together, we eat together, we're in the same room together. We are never 24 hours a day, we are never separated. Never. When I go to the bathroom, he's so protective of me. He stands outside the lady's door with his arms folded like he's a bodyguard till I come out. And said, how in the world could he even be around somebody? This is back in the day when we didn't, ha- we didn't even have a staff. I had one guy working part-time and couldn't even pay him, okay? That's how bad it was. So I said to him, I said, I want the man's name and I want his number right now. I will confront him face-to-face First on the telephone, and if I have to fly up there, I'm going to settle this one thing for all because I said, that borderline's on a slander suit. I will sue somebody for slander or defamation of character. I'm not afraid to do that. He said, no, calm down, calm down, calm down. He said, I'm going to talk to him right now and tell him I'm giving the number. He calls the guy up. Listen to this. Now listen, are you ready for for the revelation? And the guy, he says, I just talked to Perry Stone. That's a bald-faced lie. He is after you. And he's talking about even suing you for defamation of character. And I said, I told you you shouldn't be repeating stuff. Like that because it wasn't even true. He said, oh, God, oh, God, I'm so glad you called. I'm so glad you called. He said, I just found out today it wasn't Perry Stone. It was another guy with the name Stone, but I assumed it was Perry. It was another guy there's a lot of guys named Stone in the Church of God. There's another guy. He didn't even hear the name Perry. He just heard the name Stone and made up a whole story. Well, what'd you do about it? Oh, let me tell you. He got the fire rebuked out of him. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that that guy will ever tell another story about anybody the way he got rebuked. All right. And you know what? He deserved to be rebuked because he's messing with the reputation of somebody. I heard. She said. They said. I overheard. You will put yourself not only in a great depression, but you may may be repeating things that have no truth in them whatsoever. Can I tell you something? Once you've said something, you can't get the word back. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, I was going to tell you a story, but it's going to, it would take way too long to go into this, and, and it's, a, it's a warfare story, but I, I want to give you one of the heaviest things. If you if all can hear this, if you can receive this, this might be, the greatest nugget God gave me as to my own life or how to walk and talk and deal with situations and deal with people and even deal with negative situations or how to deal with all this. Years ago, I was in Cleveland, Tennessee, and they were having a church meeting. We're a denominational headquarters, which means at any given time, at certain times of the years, there, there will be 300, 500, or 1,000 preachers come to our town. And I had had a friend in a neighboring state, it happened to be a state right near Tennessee there. And I had a friend from a neighboring state and he was uh, on staff as a minister and he got involved with a female in the church and I uh, heard about it because we're good friends with the family. It was very sad. And I said, well, what are they gonna do? And they said, well, he's gonna go through the restoration process. And, And I said, that's good. And I knew, I knew the family, I knew the church, I knew the man, I knew over time it was all gonna work out and I knew they were doing the right thing and everything was gonna be fine. I knew that. I'm going to Panera Bread, okay? And the Holy Spirit tells me, I mean, the Holy Spirit tells me, when you walk in Panera Bread, these preachers are going to want information from you because they know you're tight with that family. And they're going to say, Perry, have you heard? And God said to me, and you keep your mouth shut. He said, you don't say nothing, and you just say what I give you. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) I did. I said, this is going to be really fun. I walk in. There I am in the line. Brother Perry. Oh, when they come up and say, Brother Perry. You know what's coming. Hey, how you doing? Did you hear about brother so-and-so? Isn't that sad? I said, you know, it really is. But I said, isn't it great that we, are, we serve a God of restoration? I said, isn't it great that they're going to go through... Re-? And they just looked at me like this. That's not what they wanted to hear. That's not, no, that's not what they wanted to hear. And I just got one order of my stuff, and I'm walking past, and here's another group. Brother Stone, Brother Stone. Yeah, there's two. these two guys don't even like me. I knew that what they're going to gossip because they don't even like me. <laughs> Brother Stone, well, how are you doing? Oh, doing great. How's the ministry going great? Brother, and here it comes. Did you hear? The whole place, that's all they're talking about is this guy. And I said, yeah, but the Lord spoke to me and said, he's going to be like Samson. What do you mean he's going to be like Samson? I said, he's going to have a comeback anointing. I said it's going to work out all right. I said it's it's, it's a tough thing, but he's going. To... I said ain't it great? Yeah. And I got so mad at some, I got some mad at some of them, and I looked, leaned over one time. You know they're just wanting to gossip, and there's nothing worse than a believer who loves Jesus who's a gossiper. And I just leaned over and I said, you know, brethren, the difference between that precious brother and some of you is he just got caught. Oh, ho, ho, ho. brother, oh, I ho, ho. mean, they turn red in the face. They look at each other. Can I tell you something? There wasn't nobody else at Panera Bread asked me that day what I thought about nothing. And I walked out of there feeling good in my spirit because I didn't tear anybody down. I didn't talk about a story that I may not even have the facts on. I built up the body of Christ, and I said, look, if we're going to call ourselves believers and we're going to preach on forgiveness, then we better learn how to practice it when it happens to somebody we like or don't like. Come on, I'm going to preach right here. And just, "Mm, Jesus. Now, will you let me give you Will you let me go just to, can I go just a little bit longer in the second service? Are we okay? It won't be much longer, but bear with me because i got to get to the cross. Okay, here's what the Lord taught me. Now, folks, what I'm about to give you here is the heaviest thing the Lord's ever given me on this subject. I'm sitting at my desk, and I know of a situation uh, that had happened. Kind of like what we're talking about here, and I'm using this, and I said... Lord, it's just so sad. Why do people have to feel like they have to know and why do they always have to repeat and they have to just get stuff? What's the deal with people? Why can't people just say, let's pray. Let's go to prayer. We need to pray. This is just an attack of the enemy. Let's pray. Let's pray for the brothers. Let's pray for the sisters. Let's pray for the church. What's the deal with this? And the Lord said, I want to show you something. He said, go to the Ten Commandments. And there on those Ten Commandments are sins that people have committed that have caused problems for them. He said, look at the one called, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's in the 10. And I said, yes, sir. He said, what's a false witness? Now, the Lord, I'm carrying on this conversation. I said, what's a false witness? So I started going to the internet. That ain't the place to look all the time, by the way. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) especially especially some of them just be careful but i'm looking at false witness and i'm getting definitions someone who testifies in a court case falsely against another i said all right what does that mean don't bear false witnesses it means if you stand before the judges don't say anything and i kept digging and kept digging so then i did what i should have done to begin with go to the hebrew words just go to the original and then try to find the other verses now here's the picture i got lord please help me get this across the way you gave it to me because it changed my life okay I saw somebody come into court and a man had murdered his wife, allegedly. Now we say innocent to what? Proven guilty. So the okay, so they put the guy on the stand. So, sir, how are you familiar with the victim? Well, I really don't know him. So you don't know the victim? No, sir. You don't know the victim's family? No, sir. But my neighbor does. Okay, your neighbor, you have a neighbor that does. Yeah, he's he's right there with him. So, sir, uh, you claim that he you know for a fact he killed his wife. I know for a fact he did it. Okay, sir, uh, when did you see him kill his wife? What time was it? Well, no, you don't understand. I wasn't there, but my neighbor lives next door. Sir, this is not about your neighbor, it's about you. So you saw him, you saw the gun. No, sir, I didn't see the gun, but I heard she was shot in the head. And I heard her husband owned the gun, but, sir, you didn't see the gun. No, sir, I didn't see the gun. Did you see the husband pull up in his car? No, sir, I didn't see the car. Did you see the husband get out of the car? No, wait a minute. That man's testimony ain't worth flip because he is going only by somebody's theory that didn't, hearsay, that wasn't even there. And God said, okay, that's a false witness. Because what they're doing is taking other people's information and repeating it. And God said, if you're not present and you are not present at the moment of the timing of whatever the accusation is, you can never go on trial as a eyewitness. Help me preach. But he says, my people are constantly repeating rumors and stories and they weren't there. Yeah, Yeah, but, 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 but Bill who knew, Lou who knew, Sam who knew, I heard God says, if you make an accusation, this is deep. If you make an accusation and you weren't in the situation, or you have no absolute knowledge of it, but you repeat rumors, you are a false witness because your own case could not stand at a trial. So what are you saying we're supposed to do? You're supposed to let those who are in charge deal with situations, that are in charge, whether it's your job, whether it's your home, whether it's your business, you would not turn your children loose to settle disputes between you and your husband. You settle disputes in house between you and your husband. Come on, somebody help me preach. So I got three quick words for you. I'm about done now. Woo! this is deep. Is anybody hearing this? Hey, look, I promise you something. I promise you something. I'm talking about you individually. doesn't matter if you, where you go to church, if it's here or you're visiting or whatever background you are, however long you've been saved. I'll save you a lot of heartache if you'll listen to this message. Okay? Because you know what? The more negative stuff I hear that Christians do, the more wounds it puts in my spirit toward Christianity. So I have learned something. Some Christians are stupid Stupid is as stupid does. And I'm, just not, and I'm just not going to allow people that are intellectually incompetent, spiritually carnal, and totally weak in the things of God manipulate nor dictate to me my walk with God and how deep I want to go with Him. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And that's why... James said, let your yay be yay and nay be nay. Somebody came to me, and there was a minister. Y'all probably know who I'm talking about, but there was a minister, and he went for his congregation, sent out a letter. He says, I want to buy a plane. Well, he does a lot of overseas stuff, from what I understand. Takes a team, takes food, so maybe he needs a plane. Well, the press got a hold of it. Ooh, did they nail him? They let him have it. So people come to me. What do you think about? And I could tell by their tone already. What do you think about that preacher that won that $65 million plane? I said, no opinion. What do you mean you have no opinion? You're you're a TV preacher. I said, yeah, but I have no opinion. I said, can I tell you why? I've heard him preach. I like the guy's preaching, but I've never given his ministry a penny. So really, if I've never given him any support, I have no right to say anything of what he does. It's his people and his partners only. It's their business. And if he's, got a, if he's got a millionaire that wants to buy him that plane, that's that millionaire's blessing, and that's his fault. I have nothing to do with it, and you shouldn't give your opinion either because you know what? You didn't give him a dime either. <laughs> Boy, that's actually good preaching. If somebody would help me, that's very good preaching right there. You ready? Three things you need to know. Number one, don't fish in the sea of forgetfulness. <laughs> You know what that is? It's when your sins are cast in the sea of forgetfulness, the the little term there, which simply means don't be bringing up everybody's past. Once people have been forgiven, whether it's your, your life, your family, or a friend, go on and move on and forget the things which are behind and just reach for the... That's what Paul said, reach for the things before. Number two, if you are in a situation where there has been a conflict, don't let it settle. Don't go home and sleep on it and don't be talking about it. Go right to the face of the person. Stand right there. Don't always go by yourself. Always go with a, uh, a leader, leadership as an eyewitness because nothing could be said that things were said that shouldn't have been said. And number three, be willing to let go of what was done, wrong to you, and do not dwell in the past. there's nobody in this room, including me, that can move forward, if, can move forward if all I do is talk about the past, the past, the past. what could have been? what was, what might have been. Anything in your life that is past is past. Do I have things I wish I would have done over? One or two things. It wouldn't have affected my life one way or the other, but one or two things I would have. But you know what? I'm not going to live in that. I'm living for today. Forget the. Paul said, forget the things that are behind, reach for the things that are before, and press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Will people wound you? Yes. Can you get over it? Yes. How do you get over it? Choosing to do it. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.